Specialty Stories, session number 167. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and this week I have an amazing guest for you. Dr. Romy is a triple board certified physician, and she is on a mission to transform the brain and mental health in the workplace. She is a professional speaker and workplace wellness consultant for Fortune 500 companies, professional athletes, and global associations. Dr. Romy has served as Chief Wellness Officer for Evolution Hospitality, where she scaled a mindfulness and wellness program to over 7,000 employees. Her expertise is routinely featured in the national media, such as NPR, NBC, TED Talks, and Forbes. Dr. Romy is the founder of the BrainShift Protocol, which brings together her innovative research based on neurology, integrative medicine, and mindfulness. Now, this is an exciting episode. Dr. Romy doesn't practice clinical medicine anymore, but I wanted to bring her on to not only talk about her clinical medicine past, which involves neurology and integrative medicine, but also the transition to a non-clinical career. Now, obviously, this podcast is about specialty stories, but we can also talk about non-clinical specialties that that life may bring you. And we we dive into that a ton. So hopefully this is a good episode for you to kind of show you that life doesn't have to end with clinical medicine. We start the conversation with how Dr. Romy first became interested in neurology. Because neuroanatomy absolutely made me irate in med school. (laughs) And I am the oldest child and I am stubborn AF And I knew I had hit something. So I I think it first started in my stubborn drive not to fail because I was really struggling to learn neuroanatomy. So I think that was the initial point. But then I realized that something about the precision of neurology and neuroscience, everything was a system and a process with an outcome or an outcome you hoped. And that drew me in. It it really suited my personality. And there was a moment I was unsure. So when you decide um, after med school on a path of neurology, you're going to do an internal, uh, your intern year in internal medicine, an integrated internal medicine year. And I loved internal medicine. I thrived. And the program director in internal medicine was trying to get me to switch from (laughs) neurology. And I remember at that time, this is in the 90s, right? I entered neurology at a time where less than 5% of neurologists were women, and let alone I'm a woman of color. And I remember thinking, yeah, there's no women in the neurology department. Maybe I don't belong there. And I remember the internal medicine program director, Ryan, telling me like, yeah, all they do is pontificate over a diagnosis. They don't even <laughs> they do anything. They can't fix anything. <laughs> they can't fix anything. Yeah. And that almost swayed me until I took care of my first epilepsy patient. Mm. And there was this yearning that was inside of me, something spiritual, like this is where I'm meant to be. And that's what I want every medical student to know. Like, 
you're often pressured to choose a specialty because of a family member that was in medicine or a health crisis you or a loved one may have had. But when you're going through your rotations, you will just be drawn to something if you keep your mind and your heart open. And I remember seeing that epilepsy patient and knowing, oh my gosh, this is an incredible emerging science. And the neurophysiology of EEG spoke to me and the patient care. And that is actually a subspecialty in neurology at that time. And to this day that you can make quite an impact. Yeah. The squiggly lines. I, I still have no idea what the heck they're saying, but that's all right. <laughs> there are see, smarter was, people to do it. Well, well, here was the thing, Ryan, right? That was something about my brain that yeah. most people see those squiggly lines. And I even knew it from my internal medicine intern, your EKGs and the pulmonary function waves. I could process that easier than I could a conversation at a cocktail party. I mean, is that a sign of a neurologist yeah. or what? <clears throat> that I'd rather sit with a bunch of brainwaves <laughs> and I have no idea what to do at a cocktail party. <laughs> um, it, it reminds me of of doing way back in organic chemistry. I'm sure you remember like NMR spectroscopy where you'd mm -hmm. see these like random spikes of things yes. and you'd have to draw what it was. Like mm -hmm. I was a savant with those things. I could do them in like two seconds and, and people were like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. They just come to me. It that's sounds like it. that's what it was like. That's what it was like. And that's your knowing and yeah. you know, and that's giving you a little bit of a hint. Absolutely. That's awesome. So talk about the, the, the addition of integrative medicine on top of neurology. A lot of people will go, okay, neurology, I know neurology, that's where I'll go. But then you're double boarded. How do you add an triple, extra special? Triple boarded, tri baby. Triple boarded. And it <laughs> nice. would have been quadruple, except <laughs> it wasn't there at that time. So let's just like, because some people in medicine have egos. You and I are not that. But it's neurology, neurophysiology. Epilepsy came later after okay. I decided to leave clinical practice. So I think yeah. at that point, I didn't pursue it. And then integrative medicine. Yeah. So I, after neurology, I did two fellowships, one in neurophysiology focused on EEG and then a second year of epilepsy, epilepsy surgery. Nice. Um, and so I, I was definitely headed towards a highly successful uh, academic career in epilepsy. And I had that. And uh, Ryan, I you know, will give you a link to my TED talk um, to put in your notes. If people have seen my TED talk, The Powerful Secret of Your Breath, before uh, physician burnout, career burnout, burnout in residency and med school was even a topic, a diagnosis, yet even studied, I was starting to have the symptoms, you know, running, uh, running like a mad woman, 100 yeah. plus hours a week. Everybody knows the story in academic medicine. You're on call in an epilepsy monitoring unit. So that means emergencies 24 seven, even when you're not on call, if it's your patient, you go in. Yeah. I had really complicated epilepsy patients who were pregnant or in, in you know, preparing for surgery. I doing research, teaching medical students. I didn't know how to manage my stress. And 10 years ago, I ended up very sick and ended up in life-saving surgery. And back then, I found a path to mindfulness and this path to integrative medicine. And mind you, Ryan, like for all you young guns out there, this was before there was a bougie app on your watch saying, girl, <laughs> pause, breathe. None of that was there, right? I was learning off of cassette tapes. Some of y'all are going to have to Google that. And remember what that was, right? And 
some of my elders found that. And I, I realized like, oh my gosh, this is really helping me come out of this dark place. And um, I ended up traveling around the world, working with mindfulness teachers, and then coming back going, you know, this is bigger than me. I need to take this back to my brain and mental health patients where, you know, medicine failed often on what's also known as a lifestyle medicine today. Um, and and that was what led me to say, I want to go into integrative medicine. How do I bring it together? And you fast forward to today, you and I meeting, and I'm in year five of my non-clinical career. I actually left the practice of integrative medicine two years ago because my company, uh, focusing on workplace wellness and mindfulness, has taken off, and I just had no time to see one-on-one -on -one patients. For someone who goes to medical school, spends all of that time and energy getting a medical degree, going into residency, going into fellowship to take care of people, a, a lot of people in your shoes will have this burden of, I can't leave clinical medicine. This is what I've dedicated my life to. Absolutely. For, for someone like yourself and, and for people listening to this in the future, if they are potentially in that same situation, what was the thought process for you to go, I can make, and, and maybe I'm putting words into your mouth, but I can make a bigger impact on the world doing this other thing outside of mm -hmm. clinical medicine. Therefore, I need to step away. I wasn't leaving medicine because I was burnt out. So after my surgery, I went back into practice, right? Because I was still pursuing this path of how do I study integrative medicine and mindfulness. And we thought, oh, if I leave the rat race of academic medicine and go into community medicine, it'll be better. And I just remember the vision of what I knew was possible was stronger than what was holding me back. And that is what the key is, is what was holding me back was this idea. Well, I've spent six total years in residency and two fellowships, and I've spent all this time in clinical medicine. But this vision in my and my knowing in my soul was so much bigger than that. If you're leaving because you're frustrated and you're looking for another way out and you think, oh, if I go get a job with this insurance company or pharmaceutical company or, or all the other amazing non-clinical paths that are out there just to, quote, escape, you'll never be happy. And that's how I knew the vision was pulling me. And absolutely, I, I knew and my mentors who were mentoring me on this path of mindfulness and integrative medicine knew that uh, I could see patients and I loved everything I did and I still miss my epilepsy patients and I still hear from them. But I could see how many patients a week or a month versus the thousands I get to touch and impact creating organizational change today. And that is what drove me. Now, it makes it sound so easy and spiritual, Ryan, doesn't it? But let me tell you, I have traditional Asian parents. They were like, what are you thinking you're doing? Are you out of your mind? You're a doctor. Just go away on another yoga meditation retreat. You'll feel better when you come back. You, you're crazy. Go see a psychiatrist. So I actually went to go see a psychiatrist because they told me I was crazy for wanting to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I sat down with the psychiatrist and I told them what my vision was. And they were like, I'm not going to charge you for that session. That sounds fascinating. You're going to pull this off. And when you do, please remember to contact me because I want to see how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I have I have your parents' voice in my head now. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Brian, don't don't be scared. <laughs> we try to tell her. <laughs> I, I think it, it holds so many, right? It's it's the stereotypical Asian parents. It's the stereotypical um, Jewish parents. It's it's, the, yeah. it's so stereotypical in a lot of cultures. How can a student communicate to their loved ones that I just spent all of this time going through this journey, and yet? I found this other passion. Either I've been cultivating it for a long time and I think I'm ready to make the leap or I just randomly found it and I think this is what I want to do instead. Because Ryan, that path of thinking is really old and linear and we live in a non-linear society. And what I mean from that and I'm going to explain in simple terms is my father is an immigrant mm. and because of the Civil Rights Act of the 1960s, he came to America because at that time, non-white immigrants were not welcomed in the United States. And there are many people that are going to be listening and they're Jewish or Asian or African of uh, African descent parents are in the similar boat, Middle Eastern. Um, there was a shortage of doctors and scientists in the United States. And my dad was recruited to come here and stayed and realized like, yeah, I want to raise my children here and give my children you know, the American dream. Well, back in those days of the 60s, 70s, 80s, you did this traditional career path, whether it was medicine or law, and you stay in that career. Well, this is 2020, where society and technology is advancing at a rapid rate. And we know regardless of your profession, people on average are going to have three to seven different career tracks in their lifetime. So I, I actually tell you to look at it in a certain way that your medical school years and your residency, and if you decide to pursue fellowship, are all stepping stones in a career that could be a non-clinical or a clinical track. And both are needed right now. I mean, I I will tell you the future of um healthcare technology, of the pharmaceutical industry, of health insurance, of policy is going to be intelligent doctors like everybody listening saying, I am going to be bold like Romy and take this knowledge and head into a different industry and help to impact change. Yeah. For the student, you, you talked about being in a situation where you're working 100 hours a week, burning yourself out, and going on this academic career that you would probably dreamed about for a long time, that your parents had dreamed about for a long time. Why not go, well, th maybe this isn't it. Let me go to a community practice. Let me work part-time. Let me do something else. What, what was it for you that had these huge tectonic shifts in what you were doing versus smaller shifts and changes? I think I always knew I wanted to stay in academic medicine. I'm an intellect. And when I went into neurology, it was the decade of the brain in the 1990s. There was rapid evolution in um, the research and the actual treatment modalities, not only in epilepsy, but in stroke. You know, the the TPA came out while I was in residency. It's It's so normal now. But uh, Parkinson's advancement and MS and all of that. And I knew to be able to stay ahead in epilepsy at that time, it would be an academic medicine. A community neurologist wouldn't have 
access to what you need for comprehensive epilepsy care. So I think that was just a given. And I'm an academic at heart. Even today, research is my forte. So I knew I wanted to stay in academic medicine and I love to teach. I won teaching awards as a resident and as an attending. I really, truly enjoyed it. So it wasn't a burden to me. It was just there were never enough hours in the day because unfortunately in academic medicine, we no longer have protected time to do research or teach. It's kind of done while maintaining a full-time clinical practice. So um, I think that became the challenge. And so while it sounds like these seismic shifts that don't make sense, as a, your older sister in medicine, I look back and say, it makes perfect sense that every skill set that I learned in academic medicine on how to build a successful women with epilepsy division and research program has now helped me where I was serving as and am serving as a C-suite executive, a chief wellness officer in a company of 7,000 employees, learning how to scale a mindfulness and wellness program from, you know, the front desk to the CEO. And that those are the skills that I was able to translate. So it makes perfect sense. Had I not spent that time in academic medicine and learning those skills, it would have been very difficult to make that shift to do what I do now. And it, those critical thinking skills, those leadership skills, the ability to create and execute a business plan. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit more entrepreneurial with you in a minute because that, that's the stuff I like to nerd out on. But from what you do now, from a wellness standpoint, how can we translate that into what students who are listening to this, what they're going through right now? Obviously, you've been through it. I've been through it. The, the pre-med path, the medical student path, um, burnout is real. And, and students, the the feedback they typically get from the administration or, or from from mentors is go take another yoga class, go go talk to a therapist. How can we translate what you do day in and day out with a big corporation to the individual student listening to this right now to help them on their journey? I think that's twofold. One is we have to take care of our own health and well-being. When I was in medical school and residency, nobody was saying talk to a therapist or go do an exercise or mindfulness class. In fact, if you were talking to a therapist, you could risk losing your medical license, right? So number one, understand that shift has happened and we have to learn to take care of our mind and body and spirit as medical students and residency training and as doctors, right? It's not because we're not resilient enough I mean, to become a doctor, you're one of the most resilient humans that are out there. You know, I I rank what we go through right up there with Navy SEALs who I've worked with and elite Olympic athletes. Right. So we are resilient, but that doesn't mean you can sacrifice your uh, mind, your body and your spirit. And unfortunately, the boomer generation, uh, which which I say respectfully, my dad is in that and my neurology mentor they did sacrifice their mind and their body and their spirit for medicine. And so they don't understand when Gen X uh, millennials and Gen Z are coming through saying, no, things are different now. We don't want to sacrifice our health and our family and our children, you know, for this career. And so it's just a culture change. And the reason I say every day, do something for your mind, do something for your body, do something for your spirit because that's how we affect organizational change. The toxic patriarchy that rules medicine and healthcare systems 
which just treats doctors like robots, right, in a yeah. factory. Um, we, as a medical community, can't create effective change for medical students, residents, and doctors at the front lines unless we take care of our health first. So many of your medical students that are listening to this and residents, Ryan, are going to be the leaders that are going to say, no, no, we're changing the way healthcare is delivered in this institution. But you can't do that unless you take care of yourself, right? If I didn't practice what I preached, how could I run my successful company, you know, BC before COVID? I was traveling 150 to 200,000 miles a year, serving as chief wellness officer for over 7,000 employees and running my own company and working with other executive teams, right? And that was because I was taking care of myself. And that's the lesson here. Yeah. Every day, what are you doing for your mind? What are you doing for your spirit? And what are you doing for your body? And hey, doing something for your spirit, I mean something like, yeah, mindfulness is great. But if running out to Taco Bell at 2 a.m. is going to give you joy and you're there with your best friend <laughs> laughing, go for it. <laughs> Yo quiero Taco Bell. <laughs> yes. And I say that on behalf of my younger brother, Faraz, who's a cardiologist, and that's his vice. You know, yeah. he'll have a fun moment and go do that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to take care of yourself. I think we we as humans uh, and I, I speak for myself because I do this a ton. Uh, we give ourselves way too much of a hard time to go. Uh, I, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this. And, and we beat ourselves up a lot more than a lot of other people do. And we don't cut ourselves enough slack. Yeah, I. Um, you know what it is, I think more in medicine. There is this old way of thinking of you have to sacrifice your soul and your body as a doctor for the sake of your patients. Yeah. That needs to stop. You can't yeah. be an effective doctor unless you have your own gas tank full. Yeah. I had a saying when I was in, in residency, nobody really liked it, but I said food comes first, right? I, I can't take care of my patients if I'm flat on my my face because I'm hypoglycemic because I haven't eaten in 12 hours and, and I still have 10 more patients to go around on, right? I, I need to take a break. And we, we have this uh, terrible idea that that taking a break is is horrible and yet we don't realize that we'll be more efficient on the back end and we'll go faster and it's really hard to say that when you're in medical school or residency because even even as an attending whether i was in academic medicine or community i never even allowed myself to take a lunch break my lunch break would be reading mris or eegs right or answering emails so you were shoveling food down mindlessly and i went to corporate america and i saw these effective people i'm like wow they leave the office building for lunch <laughs> they sit down together in cafeterias and have human connection and laugh i yep. was like wow there's a whole nother life out there we need to adapt some of this yeah how how do we adapt some of that because it seems like medicine is is so archaic in its trainings and its teachings that we we have the attendings and mentors of of today training the physicians of tomorrow who are just going to do the same things how do we how do we change you know i always liken medicine and this is going to sound really depressing to the titanic that's hit the iceberg <laughs> and the attendings are like no no they're the orchestra saying keep playing the symphony you know <laughs> Um, whereas corporate America is told ahead of time, there's an iceberg you need to turn and they do that. Right. (laughs) So healthcare is the last one to make changes. However, the blessing of the pandemic 
because it is a very dark time for healthcare, especially everybody that's at the front lines, is it's making us really reevaluate from top to bottom how organizations are run and effectively. And I think given the stress that is on the doctors and the nurses and all the healthcare providers at the front lines, that is going to change. And, and the difference is here is, Ryan, when I left neurology because I was burnt out and I wanted to do things a different way, I was largely seen as a physician failure. Yep. Literally, the words were, this is what happens when you let a woman into the academy. And today there are hospital systems that are implementing chief wellness officers and mindfulness programs. And so the culture change is happening and we're, we're learning not to be the Titanic and going down with the sinking ship. What I want everyone to know is take care of your health first and then find a path that you can create change. You're not going to be able to change all of healthcare. That's going to seem overwhelming. So find one pathway where you can advocate, whether it's in your specialty, whether it's for the indigent patient care that would make a difference, whether it's fighting for reduction in drug prices, whatever it is, find one thing and focus your energy there. Because if every medical student and resident listening today did that, we would create seismic shifts in healthcare. Yeah. So the, the compound effect is huge and we Exactly. We ignore yeah. It. Mm-hmm. You you talked about women physicians and before I hit record, we were talking a little bit about uh, just a huge decrease and a huge exodus of of women physicians that the pandemic seems to be uh, uh, exacerbating the the just in general women leaving the workforce right and then we have physician women leaving the workforce how can a, a woman going into healthcare who is probably being told by lots of people already that why would you want to do that don't you want a family you can't have kids right all and a lot of that coming from other women how how can a a, a woman listening to this go i can do any damn thing I want, when I want, how I want, and and not worry about what the current stats are, or the data, or what their friends and family are saying. It's called the Me Too movement, baby. Right? It's. Um, I remember when I was uh, interviewing for academic medicine positions. Literally, one of the chairman who interviewed me was, uh, "We need to know." your plan for pregnancy. We can't hire you if you're going to become pregnant in the next five years. The last female we hired who got pregnant had complications and it cost the department a million dollars because she was out for six months. That was literally what I heard. So thank God for the Me Too movement. Number one is know your rights as a female medical student and a resident and Talk to a good labor attorney when you're negotiating your contract. That is the number one advice. And if any residency program directors are listening, please bring in a labor attorney to have special conversations with women, number one, right? Because the patriarchy is still out there with this idea that we want to pay women in medicine less. Um, I call myself a steminist, Ryan. I am a feminist that advocates for science, technology, engineering, math, and medicine. And in the fields of STEM, we have still in 2020 the largest pay gap mm. of all. And we need to fix that. So what I want to tell my female medical students, sister, resist. Please resist. 
And Ryan, I'm going to politely correct you when you said, especially other women are telling you, you can't have it all. Why are you doing that? That's actually not true. That's the patriarchy or the old way of thinking. And the men who say it that have brainwashed some women, not all that will perpetuate that. But the truth of the matter is, is again, I go back to that statement. Life is not linear. So as doctors, we've been taught to plan, Ryan, right? You're going to plan in high school to be pre-med in college. When you're in pre-med, you need to plan for a certain amount of things of your GPA and your MCAT, getting into med school, your residency. We're always planning. And somehow, I think a lot of women think, well, somehow I need to plan when I'm going to get married and have kids in there. And that is what will drive you absolutely insane, that that part of your life may not be able to be planned and it's okay with that. And every woman is going to navigate that path differently according to whether you want to get married, whether you even want to have children, whether you want to um, be a single mother or have a partner. Like these are all very personal decisions and talk to another professional and a mentor about it. By a professional, I mean a therapist, right? Make your own individual plan. Don't let society make the plan for you. There isn't a perfect time to have children. We say that to women who are not in medicine, let alone a woman who's in medicine. And every woman's trajectory is going to be different when and if you decide to be a mother, when and if you decide to become a life partner. Um, There's no rhyme or reason to it. And everyone's journey is going to be different. And the only advice I would give you sitting from where I am as your elder sister is... um, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Yeah. And the women who are um, posing on Instagram that they have it all at once, um, I'm talking to them personally. I've probably counseled them and they don't, yeah. right? Um, and again, there ain't no shame in therapy. Like I don't mm-hmm. get to do what I do today without a whole team of people helping me, right? So um, I, I really mean that. And yeah. that would be the advice I give to my sisters. Dream the dream for yourself, not what society expects from you. And know that it's nonlinear and it will happen, but not all at once. Talk about just something that just came to me. Talk about your thought process along the the goal versus the journey. I am someone who wakes up every day excited about the journey, about the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've written three books and I'm like, okay, like on, on book launch day, I'm like, okay, when am I working on my next one? Right. It's, it's the process for me that really gets me through. And I see a lot of students really burnt out potentially because they see the MD, the DO, the, the goal as the reward, and they forget about this whole process of getting there. Mm, that's so beautiful. You just walked me right into mindfulness. And <laughs> that is what a meditation practice teaches us. One is we know the basics of mindfulness is training your brain to be present and be here now in a place of non-judgment, whatever that emotion is. But as we go deeper into our mindfulness journey, we tap into this inherent joy that is in here with all of us and compassion, no matter what's going on in our external lives. And I'll give you an example, right? I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, highly successful, and everything fell apart in COVID. I literally lost like 80% of my revenue in March that was, that was already contracted, right, for 2020. I mean, so many entrepreneurs will tell you that. And yes, it felt bad on the exterior. That's an example of having a goal. My very reasonable financial goals so I can play my employees and myself. 
but my mindfulness practice still reminded me there was joy in a day moment. And that's what the mindfulness trained me to do. You can have both at once. It's not one or the other. It's both. Right. Like right now, my goal is, yeah, I'm ending this year strong, having recovered and building my next step is to build this all into a technology platform, a mental health technology platform for the workplace. Yeah, that's my goal. And as well as day to day, there's the journey and each journey has its ups and its downs. So you're going to have moments of joy and you're going to have moments of pain in the day. And that's being present in each day. And that's the, the having both a goal and a journey day to day. And if that sounds really esoteric and woo woo and you're like, woo, turn <laughs> off this podcast, Ryan, this is too deep for me. I just ask you to think of one thing today that you really feel so thankful for. But I also want you to then close your eyes and I want you to see or think of that person or that experience. And I want you to hear the sounds or the smells or the taste or the touch or the feeling that was with it and relive that moment. And for me, it was, I was in my last meeting before this interview and my dog just climbed up onto my lap and he was giving me little puppy kisses on my wrist <laughs> as I was having this really serious meeting about our online platform. And I just, I, if I relive it, then that releases this oxytocin and serotonin in your brain. And for you non-neuroscience people, that's your feel good and sleep good hormones. And yeah, that's how you find that joy in the day. Yeah. Awesome. I want to talk a little uh, entrepreneurship for the student going through this process who may have always been a little entrepreneurial or maybe going to medical school knowing they, they don't want a clinical career. Mm -hmm. What can a student do on, on top of all of the other responsibilities they have of learning and, and educating themselves? How can they stay attuned to the entrepreneurial world and, and really, um, uh, uh, harness isn't the right word that I'm trying to think of, but but really cultivate that side of their being. Yeah, I I I may be wrong in this, Ryan, but I will tell you why I think I'm a successful entrepreneur. Because when I was in medical school, I focused on medical school, and yeah. when I was in my internal medicine year, I focused on that, and as a neurology resident, I focused on that, and I didn't try to do too many things at once. Now, thankfully. Uh, I've turned into an auntie myself and I didn't have YouTube to distract me at that time, right? No TikTok. <laughs> no, talk TikTok. I don't know, right? No. But um, focus, the, the secret of every entrepreneur is you focus on one project or one thing or one income revenue stream at a time. You test it. There's proof of concept and you grow it and you go on to the next thing, Right. It, you can't chase the shiny object. And the same thing is true uh, for your medical career. So if you know you're heading into a non-clinical career, lovely, great, research it in your free time. But right now, do the best you can at medical school. Yeah. And don't just blow off the topics that are not interesting to you. You'll be surprised how many of those topics come back up. Uh, I mean, how many of my colleagues right now in neurology for instance, that are still on the clinical side during a pandemic are getting pulled to work in the emergency room or getting retrained in pulmonology and ID, right? We're having crisis in many areas in our country and, and shortage of doctors to help. So be the best you can 
and then focus on what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And the, you learn that skill set of focus on one thing and do it really well. I, I think that is the secret sauce that I've had to be an entrepreneur. As we wrap up here, what kind of final words of wisdom do you have for the student on their journey, uh, unsure of, of their destination? Mm. When you're unsure, you're going to enjoy the journey even more. When you come in with this premeditated plan that you must go into a certain specialty, you must get residency or fellowship in a certain hospital, you'll probably achieve it. You're a medical student. You're highly successful. You may get your second choice. You're just checking off boxes in life, and there's not much joy in that. There's a temporary joy. Yay, you got into your first choice for residency or you got into your specialty. And then you're always going to want to be seeking more. What's the next thing or the goal or the superficial item or title that you can check off your to-do list? Life is about your experiences. And if I've learned one thing coming out of life-saving surgery and being at my age, hoping to give love a second chance again, life is really about the relationships you're going to have and the experiences and the things you'll do. So don't forget to be present in today, even if it's a small moment, like your dog licking the inside of your wrist to say hello. All right, there you have it. Again, Dr. Romy, if you go to drromy.com, that's D-R-O-D-R-R-O-M-I-E.com, you can find more about Dr. Romy, including links to her TED Talk and podcasts. Again, drromy.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We have more great episodes coming in the future. So don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for free in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.